We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to a live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel, Corey Walter, right by my side. And we are talking about a Nets W game one win on the road in Philadelphia. Guys, how are we feeling? Progress rather than process. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, the Nets pretty much, besides that first quarter, controlled the entire game, yeah. um, which was surprising. Obviously, Joel Embiid's held with a giant question mark, but the Nets really did have a dominating performance today in Philly. Bench was huge. It was dominant. After they came into that first quarter, the game completely changed. Philly had their run, but the Nets kept going at it and at it. And Jack and I talked about it on previous buzzes. They have two or three guys being Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and D'Angelo Russell. Well, it turns out D'Lo turned his game around, and really Philly didn't have a chance, especially because they were getting a ton of calls. You know, usually we don't talk about officiating a ton, but there was a lot of ticky-tacky fouls that went Philly's way, and the Nets still picked up the W in a comfortable fashion. Yeah, and the fact that it was in a comfortable fashion, you know, I think that we made our predictions at halftime. I said Nets by three, I think it was. I'm not uh, confident they're winning. What, what did he say? <laughs> I said six is by four. I said six is by four. But uh, it, to my credit, Jimmy <laughs> Butler, to my, not my credit, Jimmy Butler did show out in that third quarter, but the Nets did a tremendous job of limiting. Jimmy Butler had 32 points through three quarters, had just four points in the fourth quarter. And obviously, Joel Embiid was um, – not good all day. J.J. Redick fouled out early in the fourth quarter. He only had five points on the day. Tobias Harris was a non-factor. Uh, ben Simmons was a team worst, minus 26. Uh, the Nets did a tremendous job of limiting them bench points. The Nets yeah. bench of 59 points. The Nets, wait, the Nets bench of 59 points. The Sixers only had 26. Yeah, in relation to J.J., in relation to J.J., Corey, just backing up that point, in the regular season, the Nets have guarded him incredibly well. 14 points per game, 14 40.7% overall and under 26% from three. So the way that they've guarded him and the way that um, Coach Kenny has implemented a scheme to guard individual players and the Sixers as a whole is just 
second to none. Uh, I think that they just implemented and executed at a much higher level. Brett Brown had, didn't have any answers. Um, you know, you can go to Jonah Bolton as much as you want. You can go to Amir Johnson, but uh, he's a little bit busy on the bench, apparently. He's texting. He's texting. He doesn't care about the game. He's setting up but talking about J.J. Reddick, credit to the Nets players, specifically Spencer Dewey, who I thought did an excellent job chasing around screens, avoiding screens, slithering through. And talking about that bench points, you know, uh, Corey, I think you said Sixers scored, what, 26? 26. Carousel Bird almost outscored the entire Sixers bench by himself. So it was just a huge effort from those guys. Also, Ed Davis. Jared Allen, we knew, wasn't going to have a great series going up against somebody like Joel Embiid. Ed Davis showed up even with the injury, came back in, had a double-double. He was just a machine. And you like to believe him actually season high with 16 rebounds. And Beautiful. It looked uh, shaky uh, when, when he sort of turned that angle. He stepped on uh, Mike Scott. So the fact that he was able to get back into it and make an impact still, uh, he was so important. And despite the fact that Drill and Bede put up some numbers, they, they were wholly ineffective. Uh, and, and a lot of credit there goes to Ed Davis, as well as the team as a whole. Yeah. Guys, like, guys like Jared Dudley, Trevion Graham, being able to execute a defensive scheme, be able to defensively communicate, uh, I thought that was a, a real factor and one of the most important factors to, to the Nets getting the win. Yeah, overall, we talk, you mentioned this to me during the game, the communication was excellent from the Nets defense, specifically in transition. We didn't see Ben Simmons get those easy buckets, and Corey mentioned Ben Simmons was not great today. So a lot of Nets just stepped up across the board. What did you like about D'Angelo Russell in that second half, really picking up in that third quarter? Uh, waving goodbye to JJ Reddick. <laughs> Uh, telling the telling Brett Brown to stop playing with him. Uh, the swagger of this kid, oh, I love it. And I think that he just found his group. He hit that one shot and it just let him flow. And I think that a lot of credit there goes to Carol Levert and Spencer Dimity setting the standard for him and allowing D'Angelo to just cook in that, in that third quarter. Um, I, I thought that he was absolutely sensational in that third. And despite the fact that uh, there were worrying signs in terms of his first half performance, he still felt confident in how he was shooting. Um, I, I thought that he was absolutely awesome. And that third quarter was just signature. It was just D'Angelo Russell at his best. And I like that he was driving, he was aggressive, and the shot was time to fall. Yeah, we're adding another guest to a show. This is actually a Brooklyn net themed dog. This is not her natural color. She died for the game, so. <laughs> I just want to piggyback on D'Angelo. Um, you know, he was 2 for 11 from the field in the first half. He was 8 for 14 in the second half. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Jack, that third quarter run, we really found some rhythm. Um, and then again, you know, even in the first half, we talked about it. Even though the shot wasn't falling, he was really aggressive. He could feel the pressure he was putting on the Sixers' defense, and he continued on that. And I also like in the second half in particular, uh, he was taking advantage of switches on Embiid, driving, um, getting to the bucket, uh, and that that was crucial, especially because um, the guard play in general. Uh, Karis Levert also had a monster game today. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was huge. When all three of the Nets guards are playing as well as they play today, the Nets are an extremely tough team. I'll make a hot take. They can beat anybody in the league if all three guards are playing well. Just because not many teams can put out three guards like that, and Jack and I were talking about it and Corey during the game, if Dinwiddie's going to play defense like this, if they're going to have a good defender at point guard and a good defender on the wing with Karis Avert, their defense is just going to go up a whole other level. And obviously, Jared Dudley was huge, like Jack mentioned, the team defense aspect and playing defense without fouling. 67 points between those three guys. 26 for D'Angelo, uh, at 23 for Carlos Levert, and 18 for Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, they were all tremendous. Uh, and then there was in our player preview and a lot of other people's player previews, the fact that the, uh, the Sixers don't guard guards well. They're mm -hmm. not good at guarding quality guards. And despite the fact that some people underrated the quickness of Spencer Dinwiddie and Carlos Levert, it was on show today. And the footwork was, it was sensational. And Beautiful. the confidence was there. And, and I really... 
a massive, massive shout out to Spencer Dilley's defense. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some times in, in the third quarter and fourth quarter where he was guarding Jimmy Butler, made things uncomfortable for him. Jimmy flopped a few times as he does. Um, but I thought Spencer did when he was tremendous on him. And I think D'Angelo Russell, I, I think, again, to Coach Atkinson's credit, in that second quarter, D'Angelo Russell was guarding Jimmy Butler a few too many times, and we were like, what the hell is going on here? But then the adjustment was made. T, whenever the worst offensive player was out as a TJ McCollum or Mike Scott, whoever it was, uh, Coach getting made sure that D'Angelo was guarding him, which allowed him to just be more effective and allowed the team to be more effective as a whole in that end of the floor. And not even defensive adjustments from Kenny, offensive adjustments. They almost played a little bit Houston Rocket-esque. You know, getting the switches. They got J.J. Redick whenever they wanted, Boban whenever they wanted. They just kept going at it and at it and at it. And it was just a really great coaching job. I think we talked about it. There is a possibility of Kenny out coaching Brett Brown. Today, I think he dominated that matchup. There's two uh, in particular stats just looking at the box score. Uh, free throws, again, were crucial. The Nets were 24 of 26 in the line. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about how they struggled. I think they were in the middle of the 20th, 24th or 25th, I think, yeah. of the season. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, that was crucial. And the Sixers... 29 for 42, uh, which 42 is, free throw attempts. Holy there was a shit, lot of free right? throws, which just shows how kind of lopsided the officiating was. Uh, we already mentioned that when we first started. And then offensive rebounds. If you guys remember, it was 14 to four offensive rebounds in the first half. Mm-hmm. The Nets had six offensive rebounds in the second half to only two by the Philadelphia 76ers. And uh, that was a major adjustment we yeah. discussed at halftime. You know, the Nets were able to get into this game. We said Boban and Embiid will probably get some offensive rebounds, but you can't let guys like J- Jimmy Butler or anybody else like Ben Simmons get those boards. Also, excellent job defending Ben Simmons today. Pretty much made him a non-factor. Corey was on the OGG account. He mentioned pretty much his most impactful play was that transition block and a Damari three. Jared Dudley played better than Ben Simmons today. Yeah. Yeah. Jared Dudley played better than Ben Simmons. Uh, Jared Dudley plus 16. And it didn't matter his counting stats. His counting stats never matter. It, the times that he was guarding him, his communication, Ben Simmons, the, the, the clogged nature of the Sixers' offense today and the ability for the Nets' defense to collapse at the appropriate times. Uh, it was just an incredibly intelligent performance, an incredibly mature performance. Um, we could go through just so many of the different players that just had awesome games. I don't think that it was a bad game all around. You could argue that Rodion's Kourouz and Jared Allen weren't at their best, but Jared Allen had, was in foul trouble. Uh, and Rodion's course is a rookie in his first playoff game. So, and even the minutes Rodion's played, I didn't think he was bad. Uh, he wasn't taking bad shots. We saw that a couple times in previous games. Yeah. He's kind of got a little trigger happy. But overall, I thought it was a solid performance for most guys. You know, Jared Allen probably with a foul trouble, but we never expected him to battle with Joel Embiid. And, and I think also uh, we mentioned briefly. I think Travion Graham and his um, with Jared Allen being a foul trouble. I think he really stepped up off the bench. There was one play in particular where he uh, he helped off the bench Simmons for easy layup. But besides yeah. that, he had some nice steals, especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter, also, where the Sixers looked like they may have been able to push back into that, and he had some big time steals. So I think his energy off the bench was big for them too. It looked like the Nets were the experienced playoff team tonight. Like they closed it today, they closed out the game, and they had the lead, and they didn't let the Sixers get back in it. What do you guys think this does for the confidence for the Nets in the series? Winning a game on the road, obviously Embiid is banged up, but he still played. How are they feeling after this one? It shows you the winning formula. It shows you what you need to do to beat a Sixers team. Uh, a tremendously talented Sixers team, but one that lacks chemistry mm-hmm. and one that lacks depth. Two things that are absolute strong suits of the Brooklyn Nets. So if you can execute in your sort of way and be able to make adjustments, um, I think that. It's one game, you know, we don't get carried away, but the fact that this is the blueprint and we've done it and we know what it takes, Jordan Bede was healthy, uh, healthy-ish, I guess. I wouldn't expect him to get to 100% the entire series. No, and, and, and I mean, that sort of, I think a lot of the time, um, some 
negative kudos should go to Brett Brown in the fact that they weren't feeding him in the post enough. Mm-hmm. And that's where Joel Embiid eats. That's where you get, obviously, Jared Allen was in foul trouble. That's where you could get Ed Davis fouled out, and that's where you could really cook on the small ball lineups with Jared Dudley, Trevion Graham, and whoever's at center. So I think that there wasn't enough adjustments made by Brett Brown, and I think that you know a lot of people are telling the fact that if they lose this series, Brett Brown could be out of a out of a coaching job. But, uh, but there's still plenty of time left in this series. Some adjustments, no doubt, will be made. It's again how the Nets are going to respond in turn. And I have faith in Coach Kenny to to respond, and I have, I have faith in the players as well to do the same. Yeah, game two is obviously huge, and that's did what they came here to do. I mean, if they took away one of these first two games, they gave themselves a chance to win this series. So I thought that was impressive. They always stayed a playoffs don't start until you win on the road, and the Nets just took care of – well, they ruined the Sixers' home court. Now the Nets have home court advantage technically in the playoffs. Well, in this series at least. How surprised are you by the outcome of this game? You know, like, you know, we know Embiid might play, he might not play, he was banged up, whatever you want to call it. But – how impressed are you and surprised that the Nets won this game? Very, very much so. I think that in the playoffs, you generally think and you go, oh, well, who's the more talented team? Who has the better players? Because the game slows down. Mm-hmm. It becomes less of a team game. And, and you become more reliant on individual talent. You know, LeBron James is emblematic of that fact and then some. Um, but at the end of the day, maybe in the first round is where you see those chances of upsets happening uh, a lot more. And the fact in the first game, that's when you really want to strike. And the fact mm-hmm. that the Nets were able to do that um, speaks incredibly highly of them. So uh, it was a, a massive surprise, but it's not something that was completely out of the blue. You know, we sort of saw all the things that we spoke about in terms of how to beat the Sixers. You know, it's not an impossible feat. Yeah. And we've seen that the Nets beat the Sixers in the regular season as well. Um, so the fact that it happened was a surprise, but... You know, not the biggest surprise, you know. I'd be more surprised if, say, like, you know, the Pistons were to take a game from the, from the Bucks. This well, was meant to be... Orlando wins this one. Thank exactly. Uh, a lot of teams, a lot of people, pundits, us, thought this would be a pretty competitive series. And, you know, it's probably likely to be that if we're basing it off game one. One thing I want to keep in mind, just a spot on, only two of the Nets players played over 30 minutes. Demari Carroll, Spencer Dinwin. Wow. Everyone else played under 30 minutes. Tobias Harris played 40. Jimmy Butler played 38. Um, obviously, you have more rest time in between games, but I thought that was interesting, the fact that the Nets were able to play guys, you know, didn't have to lean on certain guys heavily, especially because Damari Carroll, I think at halftime, he had already played 18 minutes. They were able to give him some less time in the second half. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, more kudos to Coach Kenny for adjusting. And we talked about this uh, in the discussion we had during the game is the Nets have more players they can throw out the Sixers. They can get more creative. They can throw out matchups that the Sixers might not be able to match. Yeah, they'll have the better players and always have a mismatch with Embiid. But the Nets can kind of counter that with different stuff they can do. In relation to that, Nick, Sean Goodfriend, what do you think about Jared Allen playing only 10 minutes and Kuritz playing only 13? Is that a bigger reflection of how Dudley and Davis play? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think they're the veterans. They know how to play the team defense. And Rodion's and Jared Allen, physically, I don't know if they're ready for the physicality of the playoffs, especially in a series against a big team like the Sixers. Jared Allen needs to be smarter. Um, we talked about it, uh, at least you, Nick talked about it a few times, about him being in between on what he was on deciding if he wanted to step up on someone or if he wanted to back off of somebody. And that's the reason why he was in foul trouble. So, like, I expect him to be a little bit smarter. I mean, granted, a couple of those fouls in the first quarter, they're generally not fouled in an NBA game, which is the issue. Uh, but I think, I mean, we're going to see Jared Allen get back up to the normal minutes. This is just a game where he's in foul trouble. Yeah, and, and I think the fact that they – uh, Coach Kenny's still stuck with them for 10 to 13 minutes. This is the rotation, how it's going to be. There will be adjustments, and I think you know we won't see Rodion's play massive minutes. Uh, I don't think Jared Allen's going to play massive minutes in this series either. I'd be surprised if he plays more than 25 
uh, in any game this series, however long it goes. But at the same time, they are going to have roles to play. Um, they might have to be spark plugs of, of sorts. You know, Jared Allen and his screening, his screen assists are, are going to be tremendously important in terms of getting our, our guards in, out, and, out in space and, and giving them the space they need to attack the hole and get their three-point shots off. But uh, it's, it's a very good observation from Sean. Uh, one that we'll certainly have to keep an eye on throughout the rest of the series. You can also make an argument that the Jared Dudley, the Jared Dudley substitution in that first quarter almost changed the entire complexion of the game. Because as Jack mentioned when we did the halftime show, he had that tip save going out of bounds, and the energy and everything changed for the Nets when they were kind of struggling. And that first substitution was just you know Jared Dudley, not a not really a spark plug, but just a smart vet coming off the bench and making those small right plays. I thought that was huge. Yeah, he was. The bench, and we've had a discussion here, you know, Nets are a team where you could arguably say the best lineup is better than the starting lineup because they have so many good players. And I think if you look at the series, Jack brought up the point of, like, team play versus ISO play. Even for the Nets, yeah, they have uh, the Sixers have Joel Embiid and they have Jimmy Butler, but the Nets have three really good isolation players in Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, and Karis LeVert. Guys that can create their own shot and they get the mismatch, they're going to drive to the rim. And they weren't necessarily getting the free throw attempts that they deserved today. So look at that uh, moving forward in the series. That's a wild thing, too. The Nets scored 111 points and only had 15 team assists. Yeah, and uh, no, no, I think because a lot of that was due to the driving nature. Of right, well, they, yeah, they won the isolation. Played that Houston Rockets basketball, which I don't think is terrible when you can force no. the mismatches. Uh, and I think to have game plans up your sleeve is incredibly important. I'll throw a question to you guys. Who do you think led the sixes in plus minus? Mm. You go first. Tick tock. Um, Boban. <laughs> I would, I would, it was either Boban or Jimmy Butler. Uh, Boban was plus three. TJ McConnell was tw- plus 12. Jimmy Butler plus 11. Wow. TJ McConnell. And he didn't feel like that. It did not feel like that at all. He, he turned down wide open threes. I mean, he had a good stretch when they were making their run in the second quarter where the Nets were up 17, and they pushed it down to eight. A lot of that was TJ McConnell, I think, running the show. But overall, the Sixers have to feel pretty terrible about the performance they had at home in a series that they're supposed to win, and they should win in five or six. Now there's some major question marks. And the pressure is on Philadelphia to the highest extent right now. And I would also say, you know, Jimmy Butler has been known to get on guys when he doesn't think they care or whatnot. When he finds out that Amir Johnson, Joel and B were looking at a cell phone, looking at a text conversation of some sort, we all have iPhones, we know what an iMessage looks yeah. like. That's what, they, <laughs> that's what they were looking at. So the fact of the matter is, I don't, you know, who knows how Jimmy Butler reacts when we know that the best player, granted, has a sore knee, is on the sideline laughing at something going on on the phone and not paying attention to the game. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some conversations to be had. Or get after even Ben Simmons not having a great game or Tobias Harris not being aggressive. And I remember talking to uh, Laz Jackson of the Detroit Pistons uh, SB Nation site early in the season. We were talking about Tobias Harris when he was on the Pistons. And one thing that was a problem with him, he didn't get aggressive. And that was a problem here. He had mismatches. He had Joe Harris a couple times. And Joe pretty much locked him down. He yeah. played 40 minutes and only took seven shots, guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it speaks to the coaching country and, and, I mean, and coaching of Brett Brown. But before we get to the, the general booing, and I, I want to <laughs> do, do touch on the, the Mike Scott, sort of, uh, not Mike Scott, uh, Amir Johnson situation. Um, SSB's jumped in, uh, one of our great YouTube chat guys. Uh, do, you think, do you think the refing will get better going on? We had mild uh, chats about this throughout the game. Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, you sure you want to ask me? No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can say personally, I do not think we're going to see the Sixers with 40 plus free throw attempts next game. Yeah. Um, cool. Especially in that first quarter. They had 20 free throw attempts, I think, in the first quarter, maybe, yeah. or at least 15. 
Uh, and like you said, a lot of them are wishy-washy. There are they're fouls you don't call. I mean, I know Joel Embiid had one in particular where no one touched him. They call a foul on Carroll. And then we talked about the Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he kicked out his leg for nothing. And and they call a foul on that. So I think the refs are definitely going to take a look at that. And then we may even see the Nets. Even though the Nets shot 26 free throws, they easily – those numbers could have been switched yeah. very easily. Especially with all the attacks of the rim. I think, okay, whatever. You want to call and give the Sixers 40 free throws? The Nets need to shoot just as many because Spencer and Karis LeVert drove to the rim so many times and they weren't getting the call. I mean, you know, I know Pooch tweeted something out during right. the game of LeVert getting banged by Joel Embiid, and they didn't call anything. There was just a lot of plays that I thought the Nets could have got calls. Maybe it won't happen in game two, but I think it'll definitely happen in game three in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on is game one a sort of standard that you want to set as a, as a coaching sort of group? Um, maybe. Uh, but you don't want to see, you know, 60, 70 free throws in a game. It just it slows things down, and, and despite that fact, you know, it was still quite a spectacle. But what were your thoughts on the Sixers fan leaving, booing their own team, the, the minor Brooklyn chant happening? I mean, it's positive for us, but how does this reflect on Sixers fans uh, and their general fan base? Obviously, this is, you know, not their entire fan base, but it's like saying, like, you know, the Utah Jazz thing, or not all fans are racist. You know, we saw it. It was emblematic of what happened tonight. Yeah, I mean, it was, they were down... 13 with like three plus minutes to go and they were leading the game. Yeah, they, I mean, they had a chance to have three-point shooters. They're the more talented team, the more established team in terms of talent and all-stars, and they left, you know. It's good for the Nets, to be honest. The momentum in terms of the, the players feel that, and we talked about it in an advantage the Nets probably had in the series was their ability to control their emotions and the chemistry they have as a unit. Personally, uh, I think they're fake-ass fans. <laughs> Um, and, I, I, and, I, and I say that because for it to be a game one, first off, of a playoff series, and you know your best player is banged up, to be booing at the first game is, first off, maybe you just don't understand who you're playing against. So maybe it's just the fact that you you have these expectations of a 4-0 sweep or a 5-1 yeah. series. Yeah, yeah. And when th- that bubble gets burst, you don't know how to react. But realistically, you should never boo, especially your home team at home in game one of the playoffs. In the Fuck first half. Guy. In the first half. Like, I get it if it's the end of the game and they're getting blown out by 25. You want to boo them because they didn't play hard. But, like, booing them when they're down 14. And a lot of it in the first half was, yeah, the Nets were playing better. But they were also knocking down the threes and the Sixers were ice cold. Yeah, uh, I think that it's reflective of, you know, probably a moment. But uh, I think sports fans can be quite fickle. But mm-hmm. the... But Jim, if we're going to speak to the, to the nature of Nets fans, you know, we've seen that with the, the growth of the Brooklyn buzz and also with the fact that there just seems to be an inherent loyalty to this team. And obviously, it, it might be reflected just of the team as a whole. Yeah, there's another game going But I think that there's an inherent loyalty from the, the Nets fan base that is sort of built up to an extent um, that we've seen this past sort of season that is just continuing to grow and grow and grow with the success. And, uh, I think Nets fans are incredibly loyal. And, I mean, I can't comment on Sixers fans, but I'm just going to say that Nets fans are some of the best out there. Yeah, I mean, and especially because they were – the Sixers fans were really involved in this team because trust the process oh, and yeah. all that nonsense. So, like, they're insane. They're crazy. Philadelphia fans are crazy. We thought about going to the game, but we were like, yeah, we don't really want to get into all that nonsense. So, um, overall, I'm really happy about the result. Anything else you guys want to touch on? Last one. I think this is probably a good way to finish it off. Uh, Rooney Choi um, on Twitter. Game ball has to go to Kenny Atkinson, his first play one as a head coach. Um, who would you give the game ball to, guys? My boy Kenny. Yeah. I've been a big Kenny supporter even during the losing streak. I know a lot of people talk about how he should be fired. He's not a great coach, all that nonsense. Where, where, where are those people now? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is he finished in the coach of the year. 
by his peers yeah, yeah. in the top, you know, candidates. So right, yeah. yeah. So Kenny is an excellent coach and the coaching staff is great as well. Not only player development, but they showed today they can make adjustments in a playoff game, not even just a series to put his team in a situation to win. I saw that the assistants as well, guys like Jordan Knott and stuff, standing up and, and, and being incredibly vocal. I think that your assistant coaches uh, are reflective as well. And, and Carol Savert says we're reflective of Coach Kenny. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the, the collective, and when we speak of the collective with just the, the roster, I think the collective within the front office, within the coaching staff, it's something that we harp on. But uh, I think that those little things stick out a little bit. Did you see Brett Brown and his guys sort of set up? Maybe. Um, but I think that you get quite despondent. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount uh, of pressure on Brett Brown. And I think, you know, on the car ride here as well, Nick, I was sort of saying, I'm not necessarily that worried or nervous about this game because of the fact that all the pressure is on. And the fact that you have that freedom, it just works out really nicely. Yeah, no, 100%. I would have given the game ball personally to Ed Davis. Um, I mean, he had a team high plus 28. He had 12 points, 5 and 7 from the field, 16 rebounds, 4 assists. Um, three offensive rebounds, which were crucial. Uh, I loved his defense against Embiid. Didn't love it against Boban at times. Didn't want to close out on Boban. But, again, I think we kind of conclude we were talking, uh, watching the game, that you're going to let Boban, I think, take those long, longer twos. Um, but I, I was happy with Davis. Before we get to that question, I got a quick question. We're, we're not stopping this thing until you guys stop asking okay. questions. Here we go. Okay. All right. Top three players on the Nets today. Who would be the top three guys? If Corey said Ed Davis is one, I'd probably agree who is probably in the top three. And then I would say Karras and a tie for Spencer and D'Lo. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Davis, D'Lo, and then Karras. I think Spencer for me would be like a, a tie for third option. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple more. Sean Goodfriend again. How does Kenny adapt to game two? Does, does he need to adapt? Yeah, I think it's going to be more of in-game adjustments because yeah. Philadelphia has to do something to kind of counter the Nets where so the Nets showed their hand in this game and they pretty much won and they played to how they wanted to play. Boy, are you just too busy watching the Chris Paul State Farm commercial to do? He needs car insurance. <laughs> I like that commercial. That's funny. Um, what was the question? Um, what, are the oh, yeah, what can the Atkinsons do yeah. to adapt. adapt? I mean, realistically, I don't think you need to adapt too much. Um, like Nick said, I think it's a lot of, in, I'm still listening, uh, <laughs> in-game adjustments. How do you react to um, whatever lineup changes maybe we see made by Brett Brown on the other side? Uh, I mean, the Nets have been a fantastic three-point defending team. The Sixers shot just three for 25 from three. So I think whatever you can do to limit them from getting the three-point shot going, forcing them to kind of take contested mid-range jumpers, mm-hmm. get to the rim, uh, I think that's what you want. And the final one from LeCaster. What are your thoughts on Jared Dudley being a god? <laughs> I said to Jack during the game, I could have never imagined Jared Dudley being so valuable. Jared Dudley and Ed Davis before yeah. the season. I mean, we, we valued Ed Davis. Yeah, we were high on Ed Davis because, you know, game and the entire Portland organization and fan base was like, you know, you're going to love this guy, you're going to love this guy. And But Jared Dudley, we got some stuff from Suns fans. You know, Michael Sanchez used to write for OTG. He was like, eh, hey, don't expect much. Maybe some veteran presence, but He's actually been excellent on the floor. He's and I said, playing well. I said to Jack, he could seriously do an instructional video on how to play defense without fouling. Yeah. Prime example of a guy who just needed a change of scenery. Because, yeah. um, I mean, Phoenix, when you're not playing for anything, you're constantly losing. Things like what Michael Sanchez said about how, you know, you don't expect too much. Well, when you're not, it's, it's different when you're playing for something. And you, yeah. you see that with everybody in the next two. But now they're in the playoffs. And I keep thinking about Delo saying, you know, like, stop playing with me. Like, stop playing with me. And it's almost 
uh, characteristic of the entire team. Like, stop playing with, stop saying and some respect on that. Yeah, exactly. And and I think in relation to Jared Dudley as well, in the preseason, um, in, in a lot of the interviews and stuff, he said he was in the best shape, and all players do. But that certainly helped because I think at this point of the season, it's a lot harder to, you know, you're game ready, but obviously are you mentally ready? And I think you can never question that about Jared Dudley. And, and kudos uh, to the Nets organization too for oh yeah. getting him in great shape. We've heard a lot about the performance team, not just Jared Dudley. Damari Carroll's talked a lot about him. I'm sure Ed Davis, Karis Avert said his ankle feels great. A lot of thanks to them. Yeah, and I think in terms of becoming a deity, I've literally Googled how does one become a state. Step one, wait five years. Step two, become a servant of God. Oh, I mean, he's the Godfather. Uh, servant of Nets, guys. And then uh, he needs to have some verified miracles. There was a couple there tonight. And step five, canonization. So uh, if he keeps going with those miracles and he plays another great game too, then uh, I don't know how many verified miracles you do. But, you know, some of those fouls he was taking, playing defense on Bobon, that's one miracle. I'll count like two or three from this game. You got the Bobon where he caught the elbow in the mouth. Then he hit uh, Ben Simmons with a cross, like the pump fake move. Yeah, he yeah. just ended up missing the shot, I think. Yeah. And then the other one where, let's see. Oh, that, that kick, what do you, that drive yeah. and look away kick. Yeah. So there's three miracles in one. Uh, St. Dudley, we might have to be talking St. <laughs> Dudley, we need Slap Bush, get on that right Yeah, Get on the t-shirt right now. Get on the t-shirt, St. Dudley. Okay, there's another one. Keep hitting uh, us with the questions. We want to hear more. We keep I mean, Corey's uh, too busy. You know, I'm writing to Twitter, Twitter too. <laughs> He's not writing your TG Twitter. He's doing an Amir Johnson right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you guys think about the zone that we played and how do we stop Bobon? Um, the, the zone, I think, was used very sparingly. And at times, it, was, it wasn't necessarily effective. At times, it was. Uh, I think that pre-game coach Kenny harped on the fact that it's not going to be that much of an issue, despite the fact that we played the second most in the season, as we talked about on uh, the preview pod. Uh, I think that, that it will be used in moments if a team gets on runs and such. Carl Larry's hurt right now, um, so that hopefully he's okay. And in terms oh, of how do we stop the, uh, the cojones? <laughs> and how do we stop Bobon? Um, he's big, so chop off his legs. <laughs> no. he's, he's just a large man. I seven foot six. He makes like Damari Carroll when Damari Carroll was guarding in the post. Damari Carroll's like six eight. He's like a foot taller than him. He's just a, a, a giant, like literally a giant. And he's really that's why he's getting movie roles in John Wick and Bad Boys 3. Yeah. I think the Bobon thing is yeah, if he's gonna be if you're gonna lose to Bobon, like then it's whatever, you're just gonna lose. Yeah, I think as many points as Bobon scores, Brad gives up on the other end. If yeah. you if you attack him correctly. I mean you, granted, you don't wanna have Bobon set up in the post and trying to beat him because his length is an is an issue. But if you can draw him out, he's one. He's got to be one of the easiest guys in the Sixers to take off the dribble. And, and, and that's when we started playing that small ball. And, yes. and that was really effective in terms of if Bobon's out there, you can attack him on the offensive end and you'd be able to space the floor. But tonight, I would touch on the zone a little bit. We didn't necessarily run the 2 3 zone we're used to, but it was almost like a man zone because the yeah. Sixers have so many guys that can't shoot threes where, hey, I'm defending Ben Simmons. I just have to stay on the perimeter of the paint. I don't have to get out to the three-point line. I kind of have an idea where I'm in. My help can come in as long as I'm paying attention to where make sure he's not coming behind me. Yeah, it's not Burby greater than Toby. <laughs> Anything else you got on there, Jack? Nothing, but thank you to SSV. Crazy Dean, the Keston, short, good friend, Charlie, Schneider, Unruly Star, Elemino P. Oh, Elemino P, that's a nice name. Yeah. Uh, the Keston, Sean, uh, Jorge jumping in early. George Santiago, all you guys, um, it's it's always fun chatting while also recording. Always fun chatting, especially when it's a W. As always, thank you everybody for checking us out, listening, doing whatever it is. Jack Manuel, Corey Waldron, Nick Fay. We'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine. 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.